So, you know, you want to know what the lessee under that lease is going to be authorized to do with the surface. Um, you know, they, they may be, they may have the authority to drill a well wherever they want on that piece of property. They may also be able to put up a number of other facilities. Just, you know, it really just depends on the terms of the lease. Welcome to Deals and Developments, a real estate podcast from Dykema Gossip PLLC. I'm your co-host, Teresa Erin Giltner, a member of Dykema and a member of the firm's real estate practice group. I'm Megan Nell, a partner here at Dykema and a member of the firm's energy and natural resources group. For more episodes, you can find us at dykemapodcast.com or youtube.com slash dykemalaw or by searching Deals and Developments wherever you get your podcasts. On today's episode, we'll be discussing how minerals and surface rights affect real estate development in Texas. As a reminder or a base for our discussions this morning, Texas title commitments and related owners and loan policies may contain references to mineral interests and often do, but they're not guaranteed in any way, shape or form that by the title companies or the issuing issuing um, underlying insurance companies, that those are the only mineral interests that affect a property. And because of that, what, it, we don't know always what is actually out there unless a separate mineral search is, is done. So let's jump right in. One of the first things that we look for on the real estate side and reviewing a title commitment where minerals issues show up is where those mineral is whether those minerals are severed from the surface. Megan, can you explain to us what severed from the surface means and why that's important? Sure. So in Texas, you have the ability to essentially separate surface rights from the mineral rights. So so the surface may be owned by different parties than the, the parties who own the mineral interests that underlie the surface. Um, you can kind of think about it as two separate roads, right? Um, so your ownership of the surface may follow road A and your ownership of the minerals may follow road B. And, and they may or may not be the same owners depending on the title to the property. Okay. And what, and let me also say kind of as a base that this is becoming more and more common as we're reviewing title commitments and, and looking at title for on real estate because development is pushing further and further out into areas that were previously obviously undeveloped and perhaps used as farmland or were just, was just raw vacant land often commonly used in some way for agriculture, I think. But because of that, back then, maybe the cows or the hay, they didn't care whether whether there were any minerals out there, right? But as humans and going to develop that property, perhaps into multifamily, perhaps into single family residence on lots, or perhaps a new shopping center, or I saw just recently that there was a new Costco that was being developed um, out in near West Texas. I mean, I'm sure that that area, when they look at that, will be um, have will be covered in mineral interest. It's just kind of the way of the world in this neck of the country. So, yes, no, that that's exactly right. You know, and I think that you know historically too, kind of to that point, you know, we've we've seen oil and gas development in more rural areas. And in the past 10 years or so, you know, we've seen it in, in urban areas. So, for example, the Barnett Shale, that's right in the heart of um, Tarrant County, Johnson County, et cetera. And so, 
you know, you are seeing these sorts of issues arise more frequently now that we're seeing development move further and further out from the urban cores into these sorts of, you know, what were once more rural areas. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I have a client who is looking to, to develop a track in Johnson County as a, as a multifamily, another client who wants to develop an adjacent property. They're kind of working together as um, single family residents, and they were able to find a company that can do a mineral search for them um, just to be able to identify, you know, what minerals are out there. So going back to minerals, um, if they're severed, you know, I guess it's necessary to identify who actually owns, who owns what out there, correct? Right, right. No, that's absolutely right. And, you know, <laughs> maybe going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, I mean, you, the mineral rights um, under the surface can be further divided so that certain rights attributable to those mineral interests can be kind of divided up. So, for instance, we have what are called executive rights that are connected to the mineral interest. And that gives the, the holder of the executive rights is the one who has the ability to actually lease the mineral interest for oil and gas development. So, you know, for purposes of surface development, yes, you certainly want to identify any existing mineral severances. And it may be, you know, that that all of the minerals have been severed from the surface. It may be that only a portion of them have been severed. Um, so once you kind of identify what has been severed, then you need to determine if those minerals have been further kind of divided up such that the executive rights are not necessarily held by the mineral interest owner themselves. Okay, and that makes perfect sense. Because I know that, that oftentimes we will we will be trying to get those surface surface owners to waive their rights in, you know, as to our particular track, clearly self-serving, but also just um, acknowledging kind of the emerging use of what that property is going to be on a going forward basis. Because if the property is ready to be developed or is at the point where it's being developed, whether it's our client or it's somebody that comes after them, it's probably only a question of when, not if the property is going to be developed. And for a surface, for a surface owner, with executive rights that can create their own problems, right? Because, you know, they thought they had all of this land and now we're coming to them saying, we want to put you in this corner, you know, where, where you can, it's okay for you to, to conduct your operations from there. That may have its own ramifications, but we don't want them to have wide surface rights, for example, because most people don't want to have um, an operating well in their backyard, even if that would be to be allowed by a municipality. So. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, and I think you hit the nail on the head with if you identify these things, you know, before you get started on the purchase of the property, the development of it, you can kind of head those types of issues off at the pass, um, you know, before you get into a situation where you absolutely have to deal with it and then nobody wants to actually address the issue at hand. Right. It's also potentially more expensive on the buyer side if those haven't been addressed because then obviously the surface owner holds the rights and they may hold the keys to your literal kingdom, so to speak, if if you don't get that resolved in the due diligence or the feasibility period. Well, let's switch gears a little bit to um, oil and gas leases. Um, obviously, we check and see as well to the extent that we have that information on the title commitment, whether there appear to be any oil and gas leases in existence on the subject property, which is often hard. Um, from, from my perspective, because we'll have a lease that may go back to the, the in the 1920s or the 1930s. We also may have a lease that's more recent from like 
you know, 2015. But it's hard, you know, you never know which one may be the active lease or maybe they're both active. I mean, it could very well be that that one from the 1920s is still a very active lease and the one from 2015 turned out to be a dry hole or, you know, stop producing. Is that accurate or? No, you are. No, that's absolutely right. And I think that you, you know, what you're describing is why, you know, the mineral interest and the estate related to it can become so complicated because the mineral interest may not be owned 100% by one person. I mean, you let's say that you have five different mineral interest owners and they each own 20% of the minerals in a hundred acre tract. Each of them have the ability to execute separate oil and gas leases. And those could have, I mean, you know, if the minerals were, were severed from the surface in 1920, you may have multiple leases over the course of the last hundred years. Um, and it's rare that you will see a release of those leases. So it's very difficult when you are just simply reviewing the deed records in the particular county to determine whether or not a lease is still in existence. I mean, you know, by the terms of it, it may say that it was only for X amount of years, but typically it will also include language that says, and for so long as there is production from the property, you know, and then that's kind of very generally speaking. Um, And so that's when it helps to get, um, you know, an oil and gas professional involved, whether that is a landman, whether that's an oil and gas attorney, um, you know, because they can help you pull the oil and gas records from any wells that may have been drilled on that property, um, on that lease, and help you determine whether or not those leases are in fact still in effect. Um, And you can either rule out those leases as being problematic for you, or, you know, there may be some that you flag and say they are in fact in existence. And so if that's the case, right, then you're going to need to get copies of those leases, um, which that's kind of another layer to this issue is that a number of times you don't have the actual lease document available in the public record. And so then you have to track down the parties to that to try to get the actual lease so that you can see what the terms of it are. (laughs) Um, And so I guess that kind of leads me to the the next point, right, is that, um, you know, we, we need to know what sort of use of the surface is authorized under the terms of the oil and gas lease that is still um, applicable to that tract, right? Um, you know, I think Teresa, you had mentioned you don't necessarily want a well in your backyard. And so, you know, you want to know what the lessee under that lease is going to be authorized to do with the surface. Um, you know, they, they may be, they may have the authority to drill a well wherever they want on that piece of property. They may also be able to put up a number of other facilities. Just, you know, it really just depends on the terms of the lease. No, that that becomes very important. Um, I know, like, we'll oftentimes we will try to get um, an affidavit of non-production from the current owner of the of the land um, in question, just to tell us, you know, that there's that there none of the leases out there are operative. But depending on how long the person has owned the land, that may or may not be helpful. I mean, if they've owned it for 20 years, maybe there's a comfort a little bit. But as we know in Texas, something as oil and gas drilling techniques become ever more precise, there are leases that maybe went dormant and depending on the terms may resurrect themselves um, if, or maybe weren't producing a lot or, but were producing a small amount. And 
you know, sometimes the landowners, while you think they would know, they don't know, you know, whether or not anything's out there. So. Yeah. You're, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, you spoke about techniques, right? I mean, I think most of us are fairly familiar with this idea of horizontal drilling. So you may not necessarily see the well pad or a well head anywhere on your property. It could be two miles away from you, frankly, but you might have a well that is bottomed right under your, your tract. And so, you know, if you just go out there and physically inspect this 10 acre tract of land, you may not necessarily see anything that indicates there's an existing lease. Um, so yeah, I think certainly, you know, doing your due diligence in regards to what exists out there, what, you know, what the lease terms are is extremely important in terms of surface development. Okay. And what about like if there for surface damages, I mean, you know, what if there's an abandoned well? I mean, if there's an, you know, open well head or just an abandoned, I mean, it's just, it's there, but clearly been abandoned, but still you as a potential land, potential owner of the property still have to deal with the fact, or somebody has to deal with the fact that there's an open wellhead out there. And it may be that the current owner hasn't dealt with it, but if you want to develop that property, you know, it, you can't just leave it open. So what happens in that scenario? Right. So this has become a real problem in the last several years and, and so much so that the Railroad Commission um, had actually begun an, an initiative of um, raising funds that are kind of kept in a pot for these types of abandoned wells. I mean, you know, it may be that a well was drilled 50 years ago and the operator who operated it 50 years ago is long gone and nobody knows, you know, there's, there's no one really in charge of it now, right? So, that's the point at which you'd need to go to the railroad commission um, and work with them if it's not already, you know, formally plugged and abandoned to have it formally plugged and abandoned um, so that you can develop. I mean, obviously there will always be that, you know, um, that well out there, but if you permanently plug and abandon it, it significantly decreases the odds of, um, you know, there being an issue and allows you to kind of plan development much easier. Um, so, or, you know, the flip side is too, if it's a more recent lease, a more recent well, um, the operator that is of record with the Railroad Commission is, is operator of that well has a duty to plug, properly plug and abandon it if it is in fact no longer producing. Um, and so that may be the other alternative is that you track down the owner of the well and, and work with them to get it plugged properly so that you can move forward with your development. Okay. And, and Megan, what, as an oil and gas lawyer, what, what do you see, I guess, locally or around the state in terms of municipalities banning, um, you know, oil and gas production in certain types of areas? I mean, are you seeing any zoning that or ordinances that restrict that as again as we have land that comes into an etj or maybe even in a county or a city where it wasn't an issue before because it was farmland but now that that farmland is being converted into something else so it's kind of even the character of the city a little bit has changed are you seeing anything where those cities or municipalities are are taking steps to address that issue or are they just kind of sitting back and, and being silent on that? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think we certainly saw it with kind of the onset of, of in particular, drilling in the Barnett Shale. Um, you know, I think initially there were at least one or two cities, municipalities that attempted to just prevent drilling altogether, um, which became a real hot topic because, right, essentially that acts as a, you know, condemnation of sorts for the mineral rights owners. And so, you saw a little bit of a backtrack there. And so now, you know, there are a couple of cities, Mansfield being one of them, Arlington being one of them, um, where they do require that you get a permit from the city um, to drill an oil or gas well. Um, and they've, they've laid out, um, you know, some rules regarding those, those permits and how they're obtained and um, how far they can be from residential areas Um you know, it, it may require that the, the operator of the well, um, you know, grant some sort of security interest to the city in order to assure the city that they're going to comply with their permit and the terms of the, the regulation that's at hand. So certainly, I think, you know, as the oil and gas development has pushed into these areas where we have more development, you are seeing cities kind of try to quickly get on top of how they can be involved in the regulation as opposed to just leaving it to the state, um, you know, and, and primarily the Railroad Commission to dictate how how development occurs with respect to the oil and gas in these areas. Okay, that's good to hear because it is a, it is a difficult situation. I mean, I can see even within our own law firm, we could be representing, obviously not at the same time on the same piece of property, but we could certainly be um representing an operator who wants to continue to operate or who has some mineral interest in a particular city or county, but we may have a developer client who wants to um, develop a piece of land in that same place. And, you know, they both have rights. And at the end of the day, um, I guess what the cities or the municipalities are trying to do is to do something fair as, or as fair as that can be without, um, taking away those mineral interest rights and devaluing those mineral interests, but by the same time, recognizing that property, the, the character and use of property can change over time. I mean, just as I'm looking out here in our offices in downtown Dallas, I mean, there is land that probably 50, 60 years ago, even that current would was not a part of the tollway or was not a part of a major interstate, but now is. And that's just the way that property the, the character and use of property changes over time, but those mineral interests and what lies beneath doesn't necessarily. And so as a result, you know, we have to figure out how to coexist with that. And that kind of leads me into the last question of, or the last kind of big topic is, you know, what can, what can an owner do to make sure going on a going forward basis, if for example, they don't want to have mineral interests or they don't want to have to deal with the mineral interests or oil and gas leases, what's a tool that they can use to ensure that that doesn't happen on a going forward basis? Sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I think there's a number of ways, um, you know, you had previously mentioned one of the things that you can do is get a surface waiver um, from the mineral owners in the property. And that's essentially just a blanket waiver of, you know, we are waiving and, and right. I mean, I'm speaking again, pretty generally, and you can modify those, those sorts of waivers as you see fit, but generally speaking, it's, you know, the mineral owner is waiving their right to use the surface of the property for any type of oil and gas development. Now, you know, they may decide to waive their right to use the surface, but allow for horizontal drilling, directional drilling, um, that 
allows them to drill a well under the surface. And you may require that it be X number of feet below the surface to give you some sort of comfort that, you know, even if there's something going on under the surface, it's far enough down that it should not affect your surface development. Um, you know, and they may, it, you can just modify that how, how you see fit. Um, another way that you can do it, um, if they don't want to do a full waiver of all rights, um, maybe something such as a surface use agreement. So you enter into an agreement with the mineral owners where, you know, the surface owners and the mineral owners agree as to how the property, the surface of the property is going to be used for oil and gas development. So you may, you know, let's say you have a hundred acre tract, um, you may essentially designate five acres on that property that can be used for a well pad um, or, or for some type of facility. Um, but then, you know, the developer and the mineral owners kind of work together to come up with a plan that will accommodate both of their uses of that property. Um, so that's another tool. And again, you know, in those types of agreements, you can stipulate where any pipelines would go that are related to the oil and gas development. Um, you know, any roads that would be necessary to get to the well pad, those types of things. So those are typically your, you know, I would say your best options. Um, but <laughs> Teresa, you know, as lawyers, we can always get creative. <laughs> um, That's right. We can always... You can always throw in a restrictive covenant or two, but but obviously if the if you've got an ex, if you've got existing owner if you've got existing minerals on the property then you have to deal with those those folks. I mean it's not a question of you know we're just going to pretend that they're not out there. I mean they're there and they have rights in the property and you know the a surface use agreement I think is um, often as you said I mean a great way. May, cause, may take some negotiation, but a great way for it to be a win-win for both parties so that you know, property can be developed, but it can at the same time still recognize the um, ownership interests and the rights of those mineral interest holders. So, I mean, you know, we'd all like to have our, things our way 100% of the time, but that's not the way it usually works. So, <laughs> That's right. Now, and I think that, you know, I, I've even... You know, operators, I think, have become much more um, open to the idea of working with the surface owners, you know, because they recognize that if the development is not there, it's it's pretty likely that it will come at some point in time. Um, and there's a need to create a, a relationship between the parties that allows you to sort of work through these things. So, um, you know, I've been involved in a couple of instances where, you know, there have been oil and gas leases that are in place and are existing and even existing production from them um, on the property. And, um, you know, even working with those operators, they, you know, they are pretty good about doing what they can to accommodate the development of the surface in a way that allows them to still accomplish their goals as an operator, but also allows the continued development of the surface. Um, so, you know, I think that the last few years have brought challenges. I think they'll continue to bring challenges. But I do think, you know, you and I are both seeing that, that people are starting to come around to the idea of, you know, if we if we can work together on these issues, it, it certainly makes it easier for all parties. 
No, I think that's great. Well, I think that that's it for today. Um, thank you for joining us um, again. My name is Teresa Arian Giltner. And I'm Megan Nell, and we look forward to seeing you next time on Deals and Developments.